0: Today on Watching Your Wealth, we'll look at how Silicon Valley's newly rich view their wealth. This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Advice for making, keeping, and protecting your money. Now, from our studios in New York, here's Veronica Dagger. This is Veronica Dagger, and you're listening to Watching Your Wealth, while you learn all you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Lorraine Fox is Director of Wealth Management and Principal at Asperient. She's here to discuss how the newly rich in Silicon Valley are managing their wealth. Welcome, Lorraine.
1: Hi, I'm so happy to be here.
0: We're happy to have you. Lorraine, you had told me before that your Silicon Valley clients are more conservative with their spending compared to those who made their wealth during the dot-com bubble. Tell us about that.
1: Yes, I do see that as a very different trend from the first dot-com where I think, um, uh, conspicuous consumption was more prominent. Um, I think this generation of newly minted um, wealthy Silicon Valley uh, uh, denizens are not so much focused on material wealth, but more thinking about the long term, thinking about how to make their money last. Um, Mm. And also the whole uh, kind of concept of having a big house, having a flashy car is not so, you know, prominent. I, I talk to a lot of um, younger tech clients who don't own a car, who take Uber or public transportation around the Bay Area, um, or I should say Uber or Lyft. Um, <laughs> they uh, rent rent um and they're kind of holding back Hmm.
0: Why do you think that is why do you think they're not into at the flashy as flashy lifestyle as folks in the past were
1: you know I I think um, some awareness of the financial crisis Mm. um, uh, really has made uh, a permanent impact in the way people think about money Um, so and, and I think because the stock market has demonstrated more volatility and kind of shorter cycles than, than in the past, um, people are just a little more uh, cautious I could see and that. a little more willing to kind of think about their goals and manage money to meeting those goals.
0: That makes sense. Now, you said this, these folks are more interested in philanthropy. Can you tell us about that trend?
1: Yeah, I actually have seen, uh, thank you for bringing that up, I actually have seen a lot of clients who are interested in doing good mm. with their um, investing, so either that means through impact investing or, you know, kind of uh, dedicating some resources to some philanthropic effort, um, those those activities, again, are, are important.
0: From what I'm hearing, folks are wanting to do that now while they're young and they're alive. They're not waiting until they're, they're dying to make an impact in terms of the charities and the causes they care about. They're giving back now.
1: Oh, yeah. That's very, very true. I see much more awareness and much more activity. In fact, um, our firm, Experient, hosted a Day of Impact mm-hmm. um, event for clients um, and anyone interested last year. And it, it was very, very successful because one of the tenants that we uh, were able to get across is that, you know, people can think creatively mm. about philanthropy and they actually can think about large-scale problems and figure out how to have an impact um, in a day. Like, it doesn't take a year of strategic analysis. Um, That's and- neat. To, to do that, yeah.
0: Now tell us, you said they're, they're focusing more long-term in terms of their investments. How does that play out?
1: So uh, really paying attention to a financial plan, trying to articulate what one's financial goals are, and then using a financial plan where we actually project out throughout the course of one's life through age 95 what that means in terms of how much do you have to invest and uh, how conservatively or moderately or aggressively one has to invest in order to meet one's goals. If If one has a surplus, then one can think bigger about goals. If one has a shortfall, then perhaps we need to go back and rethink those goals. But I think starting with the foundation of what an individual's goals are, is creating a much stronger context for how to view investing.
0: And if you're young, you have time on your side, so you might as well use that to your advantage. Another point that I wanted to bring up, I wanted to know how some of your clients were feeling, because you had mentioned when we talked before that some folks had regretted their decision to not sell private company shares. And now they're feeling, well, last year, and they're thinking, well, maybe I should have done that. What's the mood right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think people, again, are, uh, kind of have a wait and see attitude. Um, you know, everyone is aware that there's been a stock market correction. It, it probably is not over. Um, and things and financings have, uh, been reported as slowing down within the venture community. So what does that mean? It means, you know, some of these quote unquote late stage unicorns with very high valuations, um, uh, may not get to a liquidity event anytime soon Um, and uh, you know some people are still pursuing opportunities where they exist to sell private shares in a secondary market um... some are regretting because they had an opportunity last year and and decided as is as is somewhat common when one is working for a company either a private company or a public company the future always seems to look rosy from the inside (laughs) You know, um, without kind of understanding what other external forces um, may exist, which can change um, valuation expectations. So, That's a good point. I do think that you know this is a hard lesson that some people have learned. That you know, if one has the opportunity um, to diversify, and one's financial plan is very dependent on uh, reaching some kind of a liquidity event, then Let's have a discussion about um, whether or not it makes sense. That's a great point. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Diversification is so important, especially when you have the opportunity. Uh, This is all very interesting, Lorraine. I would love for you to stick around and take our financial version of the Prowse questionnaire. Are you game for that? All right. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Thank you. And you stick around with us, too.
1: I'm John Wardock. Want updates on the biggest stories of the day? Then listen to What's News from the Wall Street Journal. From top business stories,
0: Apple says if they weaken the security of their phones, they make their customers' data more vulnerable
1: to the economy. I think American consumers are uh, uh, alive and doing well. To election 2016.
0: Today's a big day in presidential politics, obviously. It's the day of the New Hampshire primary.
1: Check back several times a day and enjoy What's News from the Wall Street Journal. W-
0: podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, here's Veronica Dagger. Welcome back to Watching Your Wealth. Now it's time for financial advisor Lorraine Fox to take our financial version of the Proust questionnaire. Lorraine, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. what's the best financial advice you ever received?
1: Diversify.
0: That's great advice. Worst financial advice?
1: The worst financial advice is if I wanted growth to invest 100% of my money in small caps. It was an absolute disaster.
0: Oh, indeed. A hundred percent in anything is very, usually a bad idea. Now, fill in the blank. Money can buy? Peace of mind. True. Money can't buy?
1: Great relationship.
0: That is very true, too. Now, if you won a million dollars after tax, what would you do with it?
1: Oh, that's easy for me. I would contribute to Stanford's impactful Knight-Hennessy scholarship program. That's
0: nice. That's right. I remember you're a good alum. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us, Lorraine.
1: Thank you. I really enjoyed it, too. My pleasure.
0: This has been Watching Your Wealth, a production of The Wall Street Journal. I'm Veronica Dagger. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.